Um, if you want to read along, um, the passage for tonight is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 13, which is on page 1186 on the Red Church Bibles. Reading from verse 13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, have become imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone in their efforts to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that, in our, and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just come to us from you, has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. 
How can we thank God enough for you in return, for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. May our Lord and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow to each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Thank you very much, Phil. I'll switch that one on. I'll switch that one on. Uh, why, don't we, uh, why don't we pray um, before we um, do a little bit of thinking about this passage together. Uh, Father God, um, you have set before us um, uh, a bit of the Bible tonight uh, that uh, contains some uh, extraordinary words. Um, we pray that we might be able to see them um, in all their striking uh, clarity. Um, and uh, uh, by your grace and through the work of your Holy Spirit, uh, these words would be uh, living words from you to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Very good. Now, um, some of you will know, but not all of you will know, that uh, my, both my parents have died in the last uh, couple of months. Um, and uh, that inevitably means that I've been thinking quite a bit about um, legacies, um, by which I don't mean uh, financial legacies. Uh, I haven't been totting up uh, the details of uh, how much my parents might or might not have left. Now, the, the legacies that I've got in mind are the personal legacies uh, that we leave or don't. So that um, uh, at uh, each of my parents' funeral services, um, uh, the words of tribute that I spoke were, were not words of tribute for them managing to, to hang on to lots of money and pass it on to me and my two brothers, now, the words of tribute, as you might imagine, were words of tribute for all that they had been, uh, for the people that they were, and for the way in which who they had been uh, had shaped my life. How the things that had mattered to them had become things that had mattered deeply to me as a result. That that legacy that they had left is a legacy that is, finds its way out in my life and the life of my two brothers. And as long as we uh, don't go all grandiose and uh, imagine we're about to change the world single-handed, it, it, it seems to me that the idea of wanting to make an impact... Uh, the idea that when life is done that we might be able to gaze back as it were and say that we have left an impression. You know, we made a dent in the universe. And it'll be a very big dent, but somehow or other we have made an impression as a result of our life. It doesn't seem to me that's an unreasonable thing to aspire to. It would be a pretty sad thing to imagine that we're just going to pass through life and no one, nothing, would barely notice. 
And Christian believers, unsurprisingly, would want that, that dent in the universe, as it were, that, that mark, that impression that we might leave to have a spiritual shape. But how? What's needed if we are to leave a legacy worth leaving? To make a mark? Well, it seems to me that woven into the verses that uh, Phil has just read for us um, are three issues, four issues, which, whether we realize it or not, will to a great extent determine the legacy that you and I will leave in this world when our days on earth are done. Now, that's what you're paying attention, isn't it? I mean, you think, oh, gosh, you know, that might be quite important then. Well, let's, uh, let's have a think about it. Let's see what they are. Uh, here's the first. I think the first thing that will determine the impact that we have in this world is the way in which we listen to God's Word. Uh, look at verse uh, 13 uh, again. We also thank God continually, says Paul, Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Um, In the uh, Anglican funeral service, um, sorry, I'll I'll try and stop being morose and and mentioning funerals and death and dying in a bit, but... um, uh, in the Anglican funeral service, one of the, one of the common readings uh, would be this one from Isaiah chapter 40. All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. See what Isaiah is pointing us towards? What you and I say and do is kind of here today and gone tomorrow. We're fleeting in our earthly existence. But what Isaiah is saying is that what God says persists. What God says endures. What God says is here for keeps. Because the words and the decisions that, that, that I make, uh, the words that I say and the decisions that I take, I mean, they're, they're in a constant state of flux. I'm continually revising them. You know, what, what I say today, I realize tomorrow was really stupid. And I have to sort of go back and apologize for having said something stupid and say a cleverer thing instead. Why? Because I'm constantly discovering new bits of information. Things that I didn't realize I understood. Things that I hadn't realized were going to happen. That's the nature of human existence. But, but God is omniscient. He sees everything. He knows everything. God never has to revise his words and comments in the light of unexpected events or because he's just discovered something that he hadn't realized yesterday. God's not like that. His word endures. 
His word persists. His word is infallible because he is a God who is omniscient. Uh, That's why we are wise to treat it unlike any other word. And that's why Paul rejoices that in Thessalonica, when they received the word of God, which they heard from him, they accepted it not as a human word, open to revision, may or may not be reliable, could or could not be important. No, they received it as it actually is, the Word of God. Now, how do you know if you're doing that? Because it's one thing to say, oh yes, very good, very good, I like that idea, yes, I'll do that. But how do you know that you're doing that? Well, the word... The idea here, the person who receives it, the, the, the language behind the idea of, of receive, reception, it has the similar sort of idea to the idea of hospitality. You, know, you, you welcome a guest in. You receive them into your home. You, you, you might say that you, you treat them as an honored guest. Not kind of questioning them and full of suspicion, but with warmth and eagerness and excitement. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't puzzle over God's Word. It doesn't mean we won't think hard about God's Word. But we do it in such a way that we treat it, um, how can I put it, we treat it as it is somehow over us rather than us being over it. You know, we don't come to it with a, with a basic attitude of suspicion and, and, and I, I'm not sure if this is trustworthy and if I disagree with it, then I'm going to critique it and I, and I won't listen to bits of it. No, we come to it assuming that it trumps us so that where it clashes with what seems wise to us, we give it the authority. We, we still might need a puzzle to say, well, what does it actually mean for the way that I live my life? but I give it authority over me. Uh, one strange experience of um, uh, these last few weeks was uh, beginning uh, to do a little bit of clearing out of my parents' house. Sorry, there I go again. Um, and, um, you know, fascinating. I mean, my dad was a bit of a hoarder, so all sorts of things. Now, um, found some letters from 1960 um, tucked in. Um, now, I haven't actually got it, but, you know, in amongst was sort of 1960 sort of Her Majesty's tax and revenue sort of income tax coding. Now, that didn't get a lot of attention, you know, tossed to one side. You know, really pretty dull. Uh, but then, um, then this turns up. Uh, a letter written one month to the day after my birth, sent by my grandfather to my parents, speaking about his intentions to come to my baptism. Now, when that letter comes into my hand, uh, I sit and I read, because it's personal. Now, can I ask you, how do you read this word? How do you read the Bible? Is it personal to you? Do you sense sense that it, it... It is about you and about the way that you live your life. Do you treat it as it really is? The Word of God 
which is at work in you who believe. And and notice that that little phrase, is at work in you who believe. It's not past tense, which which has worked, because it brought you to faith, and, and that's done and dusted. No, the Word of God, that is at work, ongoing, continuing. It's a word that persists in its impact upon your life and mine. If we treat it as it really is, the word of the living God to us. So I can ask you, how do you feel you're doing in treating the word of God like this? You got a plan? Got a plan for the way that you're going to read God's word? Got some sort of a scheme? Do you know how through the rest of 2018 you're going to engage with this word of the living God? Got something sketched out for which books you're going to read when? Got some idea of how you might sort of take notes as you think about what God is saying to you? Who who you might talk it through with so that other people help you think about God's word? Puzzle over its meaning for you particularly. You got a plan? If it were personal to you, you'd have a plan. It would be that important to you and to me. Okay, we've done well. Um, we're roughly um, a bit, more, a bit over a third of the way through my time, and we've managed one verse. Um, second heading. The first thing about, about how might you and I make an impact in this world? Well, by attending to the Word of God, by the living Word of God. Um, second way that we might make an impact in the world um, is by the way in which we love others. Uh, let me pick it up in verse uh, 17. Um, and we'll look at those verses next. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. It it is extraordinarily strong language, isn't it? Did, Did you catch that? Paul says that the bond between them is so strong that this experience of being separated from them is like being orphaned. It's the feeling of being bereaved. Now, that's not my fault. That's Paul that says that this time. That's how strongly he wants to say it. And that because, of, because the strength of feeling he has for them is so strong, Paul describes it as an intense longing. The Greek word here, for those of you who are into these sort of things, is epithumia. Now, I mention that because sometimes um, in sermons here we mention this word epithumia, which is like the sort of the, the central core love. And usually we are using it to describe something negative. 
Because usually in the New Testament, it gets translated by the word lusts. And it has a negative connotation. You know, you're sort of, you're intensely longing for something that you shouldn't be longing for. That's usually the way of it. But here, unusually, it has a positive connotation. Paul's intense longing for these believers in Thessalonica. And then he goes even further and says that they are his hope, his joy, his crown. I don't know, did you feel a little awkward about that? Because isn't there a bit of you thinking, hang on, isn't, isn't our hope and our joy and our crown supposed to be Jesus? That's usually the way it goes, isn't it? Isn't that, that, that sort of what we are aimed for and what we're most focused upon? And I think the way to understand it is this. I think because the work that Christ has given Paul to do, and indeed actually the work that he's given each of us to do, is, is to see the growth of his kingdom by bringing people to know Christ and then encouraging them to grow up in Christ. And he wants all of us involved in that because that's what he's after. Then as he sees these believers in Thessalonica doing that, maturing and growing in Christ, he's achieving what he wants to achieve for Christ. So as he sees them progress, he rejoices and it's like that is his crown, his joy, because he is managing to do the thing that really matters to him, which is to serve Christ. I think that's the way that the logic of it goes. And that's why Paul desperately wants to see them again. To know how they are. That's why he's made every effort to get to them. But again and again, he tells us, his path has been blocked. Satan's got in the way. And so out of a desperate desire to know how things are going, he decides that even though it means he's going to be left on his own in Athens, that's fine. He's going to send Timothy to find out how they were. And now, uh, verse 6 of chapter 3, Timothy has just come back uh, with news. And almost instantly, do you get the sense? He's just now come to me, and I'm already at my desk penning this letter back to you because I'm so excited of the news that he's brought, because he's told Paul how they have pleasant memories of him, how they long to see him just as much as he longs to see them. And Paul is thrilled. At once he's writing to them. And, and, and there's no, there is no British reserve here, is there? Which makes sense, because Paul wasn't British. Look at verse 8. Now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? It's really strong, isn't it? I mean, catch that. Without them, he felt bereft. He couldn't bear it. He was ready to be left all on his own in order just to find out what's going on with them. And now that he knows that they're okay and that they're doing well, he can breathe again. It's as if Paul's life, as if his very life is bound up with theirs. See, what are we seeing here? I think we're seeing what it looks like when somebody gives their heart to another person. Because 
When you give your heart to another person, your, your progress, your joy, your contentment is bound up with their progress, their joy, their contentment. How you feel is shaped by how they feel. So that when they weep, you weep. When they rejoice, you rejoice. You see, to give your heart to another person ties you to them in a very profound and a very rich and a very precious way. But how often we resist doing that. How scared we are of doing that. How much easier so many of us find it to hide behind a little bit of British reserve and keep ourselves safe. Because when you give your heart to another person, you do make yourself vulnerable, don't you? By definition. Because if what happens to them deeply affects you, then your heart is more vulnerable than if you kept it to yourself. But if we do that, then gradually our heart shrivels and dies. Perhaps you've heard this quotation from C.S. Lewis before. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The way that we can make an impact on another person is tied up to a great extent, to the extent that we are prepared to give our heart to another person. Very hard to shape another person's life unless you're prepared to, to give your heart to them, to let them know how much you care about them. Uh, and of course, we might immediately think of a, of a parent to a child, but I'm thinking beyond that. I'm thinking the way that that can happen between the members of a prayer triplet, between long-term Christian friends, between brothers and sisters in a church family. I think we shrink back from it. I think we play safe. I don't know what it is. Perhaps we're children of a divorced generation. Perhaps too many of us have seen the pain of divorce. Too many of us have been through divorce 
and, and we've seen the damage that broken relationships can do, and so we keep ourselves safer. I don't know what it is. It asks lots of us, doesn't it, to invest. But if we want to make an impact, we want to change other people and be changed by other people, then we have to give ourselves to the type of relationship that we are seeing described here by Paul. So, want to make an impact? First, listen to the Word of God as the Word of God. It alone is eternal. It will shape us in a way that nothing else will. And then want to make an impact on others and have others make an impact on you? Well, give your heart to them. Invest uh, in relationships. And then very briefly as we close, two postscripts. Um, First, would you notice the way in which Paul is not easily put off? Um, uh, He doesn't allow opposition, as it were, uh, to get in the way. Um, How did I phrase it on the PowerPoint? I can't remember. Um, He makes an impact despite persecution. I mean, you catch it over and over again. Uh, There is mention of opposition, uh, of persecution. Um, in chapter 3, verse 7, Paul speaks of, of his distress and the persecution he's undergoing. But he won't allow that to stop him from persevering in ministry. So don't imagine that the work of, of ministry, uh, whether it's a, a formal ministry or whether it's an informal ministry, whether it's being a small group leader or a youth group leader or being a Christian friend to somebody else. Don't imagine that that's going to be plain sailing. There'll be points where it'll feel too difficult. It'll feel like giving up. But you want to make an impact, you press through that. You persevere through the difficulties in a relationship. Uh, And then the second uh, postscript is to notice the way in which Paul persists in prayer. Uh, and you could put this right up at the front. Paul chooses to put it right at the end. Uh, it can go in either place. Because in a sense, all of the things that I've said so far, a willingness to listen to God's word as it really is the word of God, a, a willingness to, to love others and invest in them richly, uh, the ability to be able to persevere despite persecution, you and I will not do that on our own. We haven't got the strength to do it. Uh, and that's why Paul concludes... Uh, with prayer, recognizing that he needs and you need and I need to cry out to God and beg him for help if anything we do is ever going to really make an impact in life. So Paul says uh, in uh, verse 10 uh, of uh, chapter 3, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. It's an interesting little verse. Um, When Paul says that he wants to supply what's lacking in your faith, actually the original language suggests to supply or or to to deal with your shortcomings. And it's helpful to remember, isn't it, that to give your heart to somebody else 
doesn't mean that you become blind to their shortcomings. It doesn't mean that you are unwilling to point out the things that they don't know, the things that they don't do very well, the things that they need to change about themselves. In fact, go further than that. If you, if you really love somebody else, you have to do those things. And if you fail to do those things, you're not loving them. You can only love someone if you are willing to speak into their lives about the ways in which they still need to change and grow. And that's why Paul concludes this section of his letter with prayers for change and prayers for growth. Uh, And uh, that's a good way uh, to finish a section of a letter. It's a good way to finish a sermon, actually. Um, So why don't I borrow uh, the language of these concluding prayers uh, and uh, make it a prayer uh, for you and for me as I finish. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way uh, for us to come to one another. Whether that means clearing uh, the fear that exists in our heart, clearing all of the other clutter and busyness uh, that so fills uh, our days, uh, that we have, we have time for our computers, we have time uh, for our games, and we don't have time for one another. Father God, would you, you clear whatever it is, uh, the fears within or the busyness without, that gets in the way uh, of us engaging with one another. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does uh, for you. Uh, Father God, we don't love as we ought to love. It doesn't overflow in torrents, even to the people that we, that we intend to love, the people that we tell that we love. Have mercy on us. Make our love increase so that it would indeed overflow. And we know that as we experience love from others, so it teaches us uh, to love in turn. Father, help to make us part of this virtuous cycle so that as we live out our love in imitation of the way that Christ has loved us, we would become a model uh, for others and that they would love likewise. Uh, Draw us into uh, that godly cycle. Uh, It doesn't begin with us. It'll never begin with us. It only begins with you. So please... Would you strengthen our hearts so that by your grace we might be blameless and holy in your presence when the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. That is your gift to us. Uh, We won't earn uh, that holy, blameless life. We won't accomplish it in our own strength. You give it to us. 
would you accomplish that in us and through us in others. And these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.